This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter nine. Men who love dragons too much. Back in the blue loop, Draco had imagined Potter excited for the first task, chomping at the bit to get his arrogant self out there in the spotlight and claim yet more glory for his chosen one shtick. The opposite couldn't be more true. The closer it got to the end of November, the more Potter became a nervous wreck, to the point Draco began grudgingly offering him some of his own calming draughts. Having Ron be Potter's friend again seemed to help, but it couldn't do anything to lift the fear of humiliation or death that seemed to haunt Potter all the time now. A fear he seemed ready to sooner die than admit to Draco. He overheard Harry telling Luna and Hermione, and even Ron once, that he had no idea what was coming, and how that drove him insane. But when Draco asked if Harry was nervous, he would always stiffen and start rambling about how ready and how brave he was, and of course he didn't need a calming draught. Hermione said talking to Sirius helped calm Harry. That made Draco glad he'd given Potter the two-way mirror, though he missed Sirius and even Remus a bit himself. Everything in the world hinged on the Chosen One, making it through these pointlessly dangerous stunts in one piece, and Potter was resistant to even letting Draco help. So all he could do was make sure others helped, when Potter was too proud to show weakness in front of Draco himself. Potter's nerves weren't being helped by being a pariah with three of the four houses. When Draco tried to remind him how he, poor Draco, had gone through the same as the so-called heir of Slytherin, with four out of four back in second year, all his friends and even his own father calling him that, Potter just retorted, No one was writing articles about you, were they? Skeeter's article in the Daily Prophet had come out, focused almost entirely on Potter. Draco kept the article, clipping it, not at all for the picture of Potter on the front page. It was helpful to remember the lies Skeeter told. He copied the more interesting ones in the fourth notebook. After all, next year the fight against the Dark Lord would turn into a PR one, with Fudge and Umbridge sticking their noses in. If someone kept a record, someone could at least in the future hold Skeeter or other writers accountable for their lies. Accountable, yes, but not cursed, and not yet. The funniest parts of the article, of course, were the insinuations about Potter and Hermione, which Draco enjoyed carrying and reading aloud to them ad nauseum when he needed a good laugh. Pansy had apparently expressed the opinion Hermione was only stunningly pretty when judged alongside a chipmunk, but as she'd had the good sense not to say so in front of Draco or Hermione, he granted her clemency yet again. Pansy would have her comeuppance. When she saw how stunningly pretty the international Quidditch star Victor Crumb found Hermione. Potter came up to him a bit after the article came out, moping that everyone still seemed to be talking about it, and sighed. Whatever happened to no one speaks of those associated with Draco Malfoy? As if he wanted some written version of Langlock. What would be the equivalent? Cutting her hands off? Come on, Potter, 
Draco sighed. It wasn't that bad. And Potter eyed him sceptically. Be honest, if you didn't know me and you read this article, what would you think of me? Honestly, Draco said. He didn't have to imagine. He could remember it from the blue loop. You really want to know? You're not gonna like it. I'm a cynical person. Please, Potter said, dropping down beside him at their table and leaning the side of his arm against Draco's. You're the one who'll always tell it to me straight. Even Ron now is trying to say it's not that bad. But you won't sugarcoat it, just like you didn't about Dementors. Tell me. Okay, Draco said, somewhat excited in truth for the rare chance to voice his old opinions on Potter. If I didn't know you, reading this, I'd hate your guts. I'd think you were someone who totally bought into the adulation, like bought his own hype, got high on his own supply, arrogant fame whore, you name it that he couldn't stand for anyone to be the centre of attention but him. So he'd forced himself into it the one time something wasn't actually supposed to be about him. Because he's Harry Potter, and he's the chosen one, and no matter how much worship he got, it wasn't enough. Okay, okay, Potter held his hands up. You wouldn't think I was pathetic with all this stuff about my family. I know nothing will hurt me during the tournament because they're watching over me. Draco's memory came to him clearly. I'd think it was a transparent attempt to manipulate the public. Remind them your poor orphaned victim, Potter, who deserves their sympathy, all their coddling to make up for the parents he never had, so it's only right for him to be given the world. Bloody hell, Draco, Potter said. You are cynical. Then rested his chin on his hand to eye Draco closely. But you don't think that? Of course, Draco said honestly. None of it, because I do know you. So what? How how would you have written the article? Draco smiled evilly to himself. Okay, I'll show you, he said earnestly, and began to scribble on a parchment meant for a charms essay. Potter nearly lost it when he finally succeeded sneaking a look over Draco's shoulder and read it aloud. Up in the chamber where the secrets are stored, the boy who lived raised the sword of Gryffindor. Draco! Shut up! You would not! Not that bloody ballad of the basilisk. If you bring that up one more time, I swear! You're that chosen Potter who slayed a basilisk. Draco hummed into his ear before pulling back with a devilish grin. What, Potter? I think the world deserves to know. On the Saturday before the first task, it came time for the long-awaited Hogsmeade visit. Draco realised belatedly what a jackass he'd been, promising to spend the day with just Potter when it was Luna's first Hogsmeade weekend. When he told her and Hermione, though, they both urged him to have fun with Harry with inconsiderate giggles, even after he insisted it was absolutely not a date. Ron said he'd make sure Luna had a great time, no worries, and he should just indulge Potter. So Draco indulged him, abandoning himself to whatever Potter wanted, his personal penance for the flying he'd barred Potter from. He regretted everything when he woke up that long-dreaded morning, 
and found himself panicking about what to wear. He knew Potter knew full well it wasn't a date, and would be horrified at any suggestion it was, but Draco's some stupid part of his brain wasn't getting that, and had him as anxious as Neville before a potions final. When Blaze attempted to tease Draco about trying on outfit after outfit, Draco brandished the talon wand at him until he shut his mouth. He ended up in disgracefully muggle-looking clothes, though at least he had the self-respect not to wear red. Potter had said he would look good in it that one time, but likely just as a house loyalty joke. His red arsenal kit remained in his trunk where it belonged, and he ended up in his cream-coloured pearl cashmere sweater, a cream-coloured pea coat, a long, thin, dark green cashmere scarf and fitted navy slacks. He put on grey sheepskin gloves, a blue dragon necklace from a set his mother had given for his birthday, and the snake emerald hair clasp Potter had given him. When he looked at himself, he looked so overdressed, he wanted to cast a curse at this plain bathroom mirror and see if any random travel happened. Draco, hey, are you gonna... Oh, um, hey, Draco, Theo said, walking past, only for his head to turn and for him to walk right back over. Wow, uh, you look, uh, good in, uh, muggle clothes, uh. Draco took that as the vote of approval it was, from Theo's eyes wandering all over him, following as he left their dorm. But he himself was the one left gaping the second he left the entrance to the dungeons, and saw what was there waiting. Potter! Draco cried out, loud enough for the entire common room to hear. He only just caught himself from stumbling back and falling over the step. Salazar, you scared me. Why are you standing there? Because we're going to Hogsmeade together, Potter said, blinking at him guilelessly. Why hadn't Draco realised Potter might come pick him up at his common room? Because it's not a bloody date. No fur hat this time, Draco. Draco used his wand to wave the entrance shut behind him, and Potter's eyes followed the motion of his hands. Oh, uh, your gloves are, like, cool. Your whole, um, outfit is cool, yeah. Potter's eyes went to himself next, sweeping ruefully over his very different muggle clothes. A green H Weasley jumper heavy black puffer coat, and baggy blue jeans with large, chunky black boots, hair as dishevelled as ever. I'm sorry, I didn't know if I should dress up, or... If Draco had needed any more proof that this was nothing remotely like a date in Potter's mind, there it was, a mantra even more convincing than the old basilisk corpse standby to remind him. Weasley Jumper. If Potter showed up going to Hogsmeade together alone in a bloody Weasley jumper, it was pretty safe to conclude thereafter that love was dead before it ever lived. You're the one setting the agenda, right, Potter? Draco drawled as they headed up the stairs. So, you're by default the one correctly dressed, and I'm consequently overdressed. Apologies. No, no. Potter said, waving his arms all flustered, and made himself look very suspicious to an ornery filch, checking them for permission to head out of the entrance hall. 
No, you look. Um. Potter never finished his sentence, and they began the walk. First time legally off to Hogsmeade, Potter, Draco drawled. How does it feel? Does it have quite the same frisson when witnessed as a full participatory member of society and not a wandering desperado? Potter didn't say anything. When Draco turned to look at him, he still asked, What? Sorry, what did you say? Though he was looking straight at Draco. Bloody ingrate couldn't even be asked to pay attention. Draco was missing his favourite cousin's very first Hogsmeade weekend for this. She stepped up to be his second in a duel, no questions asked, and this was how he repaid her, by ditching her for an uncommunicative Potter in a Weasley jumper. Once Draco got Potter talking, he found out how much worse Potter's attire could have been. To be honest, Potter sighed, I was tempted to just go in my invisibility cloak. I can't handle all the stairs. And as if on cue, some passing Hufflepuff third years gave them the evil eye. Okay, number one, Draco said. Plenty of people are glaring at me, not you, Potter. I am a uniquely unlikable person. And number two... I would never go wandering around talking to thin air like a lunatic. There's far too much insanity on my mother's side for no one to think I belonged in St. Mungo's for it. No, you would have been summarily ditched. Oh, I would, would I? Potter laughed and shoved at Draco's shoulder with his own along the path. Well, maybe I'd just follow you along to punish you, haunting you like an angry ghost. I know you're a dedicated stalker, Potter, Draco snorted. Hope I haven't given you any ideas. The places you could follow me while invisible. Potter made an embarrassed sound and nearly veered off the path, tripping on the curb. Draco grabbed his right hand and hauled him back, making him sure he kept his balance. Potter's bare hands felt ice cold even through the gloves. Well... Draco said. Now I have an idea what to get you for Christmas. Your hands are like a Dementor's. That made Potter pout over at him very severely as they came up to Hogmeade. It was a pity, in a way, that there would be no Sirius in dog form waiting to greet him, or slap high-five with his paw with Luna and Hermione. But Draco knew him safer, off wherever he and Remus had spirited themselves. What, Potter, if you're so self-conscious with your increased notoriety? Um, Draco, Potter said, cheeks a brilliant red, not just from cold. Draco got caught, staring at the ocean hue of his eyes for too long in the sunlight, before he followed their gaze down to their joined hands, preventing Potter from walking into Hogsmeade. Oh, fuck, sorry! Draco blurted, pulling back like he'd been burned. Just trying to warm up your hands, Potter, you ungrateful Philistine. Fortulo, now, where are we going? Let's do this. Potter gave a nod of thanks at the warming charm and shoved his hands into his coat pockets and looked around. I don't know. I thought we could just kind of walk around a bit. Lovely. So Potter didn't even have a plan. 
They were both going to end up colossally bored and hating each other before the end of this ill-advised friendship-building venture. Granted, Draco hadn't been bored for a second so far, but that was mostly due to soul-crushing terror that Potter would figure out Draco wished it was a date. Potter began walking along the main street, and Draco followed beside him. It gave him the bizarre urge to do as he could see many of the two-person pairs, almost all male-female but not entirely, and hold Potter's hand again. He didn't know why he was like this. Basilisk corpse, Weasley jumper, basilisk corpse, Weasley... Oh, do you want to go into Honeydukes? Draco had been being too quiet, but that was a bad idea. Not only were they likely to run into people they knew there, but he'd lost some of his taste for Honeydukes since last year. I don't know, Potter. The last time I was in there was kind of... What do you mean? Potter asked, clueless. Draco thought he was being insensitive and forgetting what was objectively an exciting story, until he realised he really hadn't told Potter about it. So they strolled all the way down Main Street, and through back alleys that Draco could trace well after hiding with Sirius in them, and he told the story of fleeing back into Honeydukes last year. Wait, Potter said after a moment, and Draco only knew he'd made a mistake when Potter stopped walking in a dodgy sort of alley to boot. Wait, you said you apparated away from the street outside Twelve Grimoire Place, and then you used Enervate to wake up Sirius. So he couldn't have been the one to apparate you two if he wasn't awake. Draco, do you know how to apparate? He lowered his voice at Draco's look. That's what it means, doesn't it? There didn't seem much point in denying it. That's illegal! Does anyone else know you can do it? Hermione, Draco said, and hastily explained to head off one of Potter's jealous sulks. I used to side along to take her to Grimald to meet Uncle Sirius. Maybe Uncle Sirius and Remus, or Luna. They were all around all that time and probably figured it out. Don't look at me like that. How am I looking at you? Potter whispered, flushing. Like I'm some dangerous dark wizard. Draco hissed vehemently. Don't you start that shit up again. No, it's not that. I guess I was just thinking that every time I think I know most of your secrets, it turns out you have so many more. Every time. It's like I'll never know them all. And what would be the point of that? Draco challenged. What would happen if you knew all my secrets? Potter just bit his lip and stared at his feet, cowed. And this was officially the worst non-date ever. A reckless need to impress Potter seized Draco then and wouldn't let him go. Wanna see it then? Want me to apparate us somewhere? No one would see us come and go in these back alleys. That's how I know them. I used to use them. So, you could just use your magic. Potter breathed. Go anywhere and come back and take me with you and no one will be any the wiser. Seriously. There were stars in his eyes. Draco smirked. Watch me. Where do you want to go, Potter? It was rather naive of Potter 
to so easily trust an unlicensed wizard with his safety like this. But that was muggle-raised wizards for you, not raised on cautionary tales of splinching. Name it. Anywhere in Britain you want. Go. It would be better if it was somewhere Draco had been, or could at least picture, but he wanted to sound more confident than he was. Potter considered, looking nervous but full of anticipation. Um, okay, how about, uh, your house? He set his jaw stubbornly at Draco's glare. What? I want to see where you live. It did happen to conveniently be Draco's practice point. The hard part would be the side along, and not for the magic part of that. Okay, Potter, can do. But I regret to inform you for this part you're really going to have to hold my hand. Okay, Potter said, taking Draco's hand far too hard before loosening his anxious grip, and Draco apparated them to the hillside, overlooking Malfoy Manor in the blink of an eye. What? What? Oh my God, Draco, oh my God, where are we? You did it! It was worth all the risk to see Potter's genuine amazement, no weaker than how his younger face had shone when Draco told him dragons were real for the first time. Nor did it sting at Draco's heart any less, bittersweet at best, to put that look on Potter's face, because it was too much, too fake, when Potter really would want nothing to do with him if he knew who Draco really was. He wouldn't want to speak to him, just to give back his wand and walk away. Potter didn't think Draco was cool. He pitied him. He thought he was pathetic, if he thought of him at all. Draco didn't deserve this moment, as Potter stared out over the grounds of Malfoy Manor, like a fairy tale castle beneath them. Where are we? Potter asked again. Why are we at castle? Potter? Draco said, wrinkling his nose. This is my house. When Potter stared at him wide-eyed, Draco crossed his arms. What? You said you wanted to see it. Sorry if you wanted to go closer, but I'm not about to risk crossing paths with my father. No, it's... This is Malfoy Manor. Potter breathed in disbelief, as if his first real sight of the manor hadn't been as a prisoner, taken in by snatches, his face hexed almost beyond recognition. This place. You live here. I mean... Hermione said it was fancy, but if you look in the distance, Draco patiently explained, you can see the small moving white forms with their tufts of feathers going high. That's all our albino peacocks. And there in the back, there's the terrace gardens, and below, there's my favourite garden, the one I told you about, the one I made a bit off for Winky, the house elf at the cup. There's the golden roses, Fotchelo, he cast, renewing heating charms on both of them as Potter shivered, but looked rapt at the vista below. It looks better from a distance, Draco said with a shrug. Most things do. They made it back to Hogsmeade in time to catch the tail end of a butterbeer with Ron, Hermione and Luna. Potter was for once obliging and didn't spill anything about where they'd gone. Draco feared that made Hermione at least suspicious about how their non-date could really be a date. So Draco spun a false but cute story 
about how he'd bored Potter by spending loads of time in Dominic Maestro's music shop, looking at all the music boxes and trying to find a cursed one, then haranguing Dominic Maestro himself about making him a custom one that was... I mean, I've got to give Potter something for Christmas. Luna and some of the nearby Gryffindors hadn't heard the story of the plant-killing music box. Draco was right in the midst of impersonating Aunt Petunia's cursed plants withering away when the door of the Three Broomsticks chimed open and Charlie Weasley came striding in. Draco noticed his audience had stopped listening but Potter leaned into his ear and whispered, Why are you so good at lying? Before either of them noticed Charlie was there, only seeing when Hermione elbowed them. Great. Now Draco had to bestir himself to pretend to be interested in Charlie. Not that Charlie wasn't fit as fuck, mind, but Draco had been just holding hands with Harry Potter. Going from that to eyeing up anyone else, was like going from flying a firebolt to a stray piece of driftwood. Draco and Potter followed Hermione and Luna over to join Ron, where he was hugging Charlie in greeting, saying hello before Ron dragged his cool big brother to do the rounds, introducing Charlie to anyone who'd listen. Charlie's eyes focused on Draco when he and Ron came back, interested at the sight of the dragon necklace. Oh, it's blue. Any particular species? Go on, Draco smirked. By all means, identify it. And let Charlie take the charm in his hand and stand close to examine it. Potter hovered beside him, as if he had any clue about dragon species. Swedish shorts now, Charlie concluded at last. Not just the colour, it's a dead ringer. Nice. And patted the little jewelled head, tugging at each of its little horns playfully before letting it go. A little dragon for a little dragon, huh? Only Hagrid calls me that, Draco laughed, while Potter cleared his throat. So, Charlie, what are you doing in Hogsmeade? Potter asked, with a forced brightness in his tone about as convincing as Crumb's attempts to pretend he didn't like Hermione. Either he was still all pearl-clutching about the age difference, or he must really not like the gorgeous dragon tamer giving someone else attention. Poor Potter's bisexual awakening had yielded so few dividends. Well, Charlie said with a cheeky grin. Very covert. Top secret business. Really shouldn't be here, but I couldn't miss the chance to stop by and maybe catch my favourite little brother. Charlie, you monster! How could you? Fred and George cried out, choosing that moment to announce their arrival. And from there, the whole bar descended into merry Weasley chaos. Charlie ended up tagging along with them on part of the walk back to Hogwarts, and Draco knew full well why he was here. It was still amusing to watch him try to give Potter more and more transparent hints. Someone might want to come by Hagrid's cottage close before midnight, because someone might just see something interesting there. Potter just seemed to get denser and denser, which made no sense until Draco realised that Potter thought Charlie's words were really meant for Draco's ears. Hagrid is not going to let the two of you use his heart to hook up! Potter yelled, loud enough for everyone in earshot to turn around in shock, and Draco buried his head in his hands. And here he thought he'd successfully escaped the non-date without any real humiliation. Potter! 
He's talking to you, not me, you absolute pillock. Draco hissed, red-faced, and Ginny came up excitedly, going, Oh no, Charlie, don't you remember he's fourteen? Well, it's only seven years. Might be actually legal. Is that legal? It's not. I looked it up in a book, Hermione added helpfully. It's just about dragons, Harry. It's something cool. Charlie hissed, giving him a significant look, and Potter made a huffy noise. Oh, I know, Potter said darkly, looking between Charlie and Draco, having still somehow missed the point entirely. Dragons, and you're a dragon tamer. The first task is dragons, Charlie blurted in despair, but it was too late. Potter had already dramatically stalked off down the path. Ron assured them he'd make sure Potter didn't miss his appointment with Charlie and Hagrid that night to see the dragons. He can take the invisibility cloak, Ron said. Maybe I'll go with him to make sure it all goes smooth and he doesn't get caught. Bloody hell. Can you imagine? It's only the first task and it's already fire-breathing dragons. Hermione reached over and felt over the snout of Draco's dragon necklace with a sigh. I don't know, Ron. I think our Harry is better prepared to deal with this kind of fire-breathing dragon, she lifted the blue dragon charm, than this one, she said, and ruffled Draco's hair. What? Hey, what's that supposed to mean? Draco yelped indignantly, but she and Ron and Luna just laughed at Draco all the way back home. Having given Potter the two-way mirror with Sirius was a mixed bag. On one hand, it let Sirius deliver potentially world-saving information through Potter to Draco, such as suspicions that Karkaroff could have been the one to put Potter's name in the goblet and use the tournament as a way to get at him by Voldemort's orders. On the other hand, Sirius had Potter hyped about a simple spell to let him get past the dragon, which turned to be a disillusionment charm. Is he insane? Draco asked casting his gaze around the lake, as if this would turn out all to be a prank. Your godfather has too much faith in you. Hermione and Ron glared at him. Hey! Potter exclaimed. I can't do that charm, you pillock. Draco hissed. I've tried. It's too bloody hard. And sped his pace to keep them all walking. The idea of a morning walk around the lake was to get their minds working faster, with Hermione deciding that they could leave off the Karkaroff question until after the first task and make their priority helping Potter not get killed. Draco, Hermione interrupted, have you ever seen anyone successfully cast that charm? Yeah, Draco muttered. My godfather and paled when they all looked at him expectantly. Oh, you have got to be joking, if you think I could convince him to teach Potter. What had happened to summoning a broomstick? Seriously. That had worked out in the blue loop just fine, even if the prospect of watching Potter try to evade Dragonfire on his firebolt seemed liable to give Draco a heart attack this time around. You might as well try said Ron. Are you forgetting, Draco hissed, that this is the man who nearly killed us all last year and fed us two Dementors? Ron shrugged. 
You're the one who keeps saying he's mellowed since then. We, Hermione said firmly, are going to the library to look at books on dragons. And you need to go use all of your considerable charm and all the guilt stored up over his actions last year to get the disillusionment charm out of him. You don't need to tell him it's for Harry. You don't think he already discharged that saving Sirius, Draco complained, and making that lovely dragon charm on your wrist. But when Hermione gave him orders, sooner or later, he usually found himself obeying. It all went so much worse than Draco could ever have predicted. For starters, he was thoughtless, and woke Severus up, barging into his chambers. Severus informed Draco that he would speak to him at noon, when he would wake up for lunch, and went back to bed. So, of course, Draco used that opportunity to scour the shelves of Severus's private library. On the off chance there was anything that could help with this, all the challenges of the whole year. But, shockingly enough, the books were almost entirely about potions. When Severus awoke, Draco had gotten Dobby to deliver them a charming godfather-godson lunch in his chambers, rather than making him exert himself to go all the way up the stairs for Sunday lunch. And it had all of Severus's favourite foods he could think of, which Dobby had proved to have more leverage on the other elves than anticipated, in enlisting their help to specially prepare on short notice. But the presence of jellied eels, and even Severus's favourite sherry, just made him eye Draco with further suspicion. What do you want, Draco? Ah, Draco said. Can't I just want to spend time with my cool godfather? Is this about Karkaroff? Severus asked, frowning. I've seen you watching him. Like you expect him to pull out his wand and cast Protego Diabolica all around the Great Hall at any moment. Draco's lack of reaction made him groan and start stabbing his eels vindictively. Oh, of course you know what that spell is. Draco Malfoy, if you ever even think of attempting to cast it. No, Draco said brightly, taking the opening and tried to project some of Luna's wide-eyed ingenue quality, which Severus seemed to find about as convincing as could be expected. No, not that. Not even dark magic, sir. Oh, that was a mistake. Draco never called Severus sir these days except in public or when he wanted something. Just a simple disillusionment charm. Severus eyed him for a long moment, then heaved a sigh. For Potter. Um, Draco said weakly. No? Severus asked an eyebrow at him rather cuttingly. Well, ah, uh, not just for Potter. Really, I think it would be useful to add to my own arsenal. Out, Severus barked, and take this disgusting feast with you. He stopped and raised a hand once a wilting Draco picked up the tray. Leave the sherry. So, that was a bust, 
Draco told everyone at their library table, flopping into his customary seat. Crumb seemed to be in his behind them. Hello, Luna. You look pretty today. Find anything? No, Hermione said sullenly. Draco, why don't you ever say I look pretty today? It's different, said Draco. But he had no desire to hurt her by explaining that Luna made far more interesting sartorial choices, such as today's ribbon-crossed Rapunzel braid and earrings in the shape of armadillos. She's my cousin. Yeah, Draco, why don't you ever say I look pretty today? Ron echoed in a falsetto, leaning forward, batting his eyelashes. Draco whacked at him soundly, even as Ron had made him snort in a very undignified pig-like manner through his nose. See, Draco said, Luna is my cousin. She knows I don't mean it as a come-on, and I'm a realistic man. I know my strengths and weaknesses. Weaknesses? The Patronus charm boggarts the disillusionment charm. Strengths? Everything else. Especially my looks. So if I go around throwing senseless compliments to all and sundry, I'll have even more people inconveniently infatuated. Who's infatuated with you? Potter gasped. Wow. Draco's presence was really helping them make progress at the whole Potter not dying thing. Well, Pansy Parkinson, for one... Their unimpressed gazes showed higher expectations. Theodore not. Hermione put a hand to Potter's mouth to silence his indignant shriek. Must have given him war flashbacks to that one sordid interlude with the polyjuice potion. Draco strained his mind for any more remotely plausible names. Adrian Pusey, Zachariah Smith, the list goes on. It's a trial, but I try to bear up under it with grace. Now, have we figured out how to save Potter's hide? He picked up a book from the stack and smiled. Oh, look, this one's rather topical. Men who love dragons too much, Luna read with a smile and reached out to play with his dragon necklace. Today, a black Ukrainian iron belly. Can one really love a dragon too much? At breakfast the next morning, Potter didn't go straight with Ron and Hermione to Herbology, not that Draco had his schedule memorised, and instead went heading up the stairs. It wasn't just fear something was wrong that had Draco racing after him. Over a sleepless night, he'd come to the realisation that Potter not having a plan was his fault, since he'd given Potter that mirror and changed things from the blue loop since Sirius had given Potter a plan that didn't work. So, if no one else was going to tell Potter to use a summoning charm to get his broom, well, Draco would just have to be the one to do it. Hey, Potter, Draco said, not giving a flying fuck if he lost points for Slytherin being late to ancient runes. Listen, I have something to tell you. Later, Draco, I have to catch Cedric, Potter said, Draco followed him, following Cedric, with a bunch of his annoying cronies. He didn't answer Draco's pestering. Why, until he had resorted to surprisingly duplicitous ends, and used a discreet cutting charm to make Diggory's bag break and separate him from his cronies. Sycophantic as they had seemed, they didn't scruple to race into charms and leave him to clean up his mess. 
Draco hoped they were here on some very un-Gryffindorish sabotage mission, until Potter said, I have to tell him about the dragons. You have to what? Draco yelled, and followed Potter towards Diggory, trying and failing to keep his voice down. What are you thinking, Potter? Stop! You can't! Diggory looked up, a ruined, ink-covered transfiguration book in hand. Hey, Harry, Draco, what are you two? Don't tell him! Draco shouted in real desperation, not caring if anyone inside Charms heard either. Are you mad? Do you want to lose any advantage you have? Maxime and Karkoff were there at Hagrid's, Potter protested. So Fleur and Crumble both know by now. It's not fair for him to be the only champion not to know. Know what, Harry? Diggory asked, stepping closer with natural curiosity. And there was his fatal error, know it or not. Without this bizarrely self-defeating show of absolute fairness, Diggory would have presumably been left in the dark about the first task, and done so badly, his points total would be lower overall, maybe shaken up his confidence and ruined his performance further, even injured him out of the tournament entirely, and saved him from being there holding that portkey with Potter. It was Potter's fault. If Draco messing about with the portkey failed and Karkaroff still managed to get him, and Diggory to Voldemort, it wasn't Draco's fault. It wasn't. The first task is, Don't you dare, Potter! Draco exclaimed. The first task is dragons, Potter said, voice steady with his conscience clear, and Draco wanted to cast the Cruciatus curse on him. They've got four, one for each of us, and we've got to get past them. Diggory looked sceptical, but when he glanced over at Draco, some of Draco's incoherent rage at Potter telling seemed to convince him there was smoke to this fire, at least. Are you sure? Dead sure, said Potter. I've seen them. And it was too damn late. You! Draco hissed at Potter, with every ounce of venom he had ever accumulated towards Potter over the years. You! Pathetic! Weak-willed do-gooder! You deserve to get burned alive! Draco stormed off, and had the singular indignity of noticing that the champions behind him just turned to each other, and resumed sharing intelligence, ignoring him. He heard Crouch's fake voice, and that was always enough to make him run. And his ancient runes professor seemed likely to give him detention for being late, so Draco just claimed that Severus had needed his help on something. He knew Severus would back up the lie, and that was that. He tried to avoid the Gryffindors the rest of the day, though he had double arithmancy with Hermione. He didn't sit with her for once, but she kept trying to catch his eye during the lesson, though he would have thought her less friendly, given he'd just told one of her real best friends he deserved to get burned alive. Not Draco's finest moment, to be sure, and he sprinted out of arithmancy the second it was over, and managed to evade her, though he heard her calling his name after him. And now after that, he naturally didn't go to the library. But that just left him all the more open to facing the consequences of his failed attempt to do good. He would have preferred Hermione. Diggory came up to him right after dinner, ambushing him before he'd even gotten down the stairs to the dungeons. Draco, 
Diggory said, with an almost Gryffindorish determination on his face. Can we talk? He looked bemused by the hooting of the Slytherins around them, though if he hadn't picked up by now that Draco had been pretending to have a crush on him, he really was as thick as any other Hufflepuff. Fine, Draco muttered, wanting to cause a scene in front of a smirking blaze even less than he wanted to talk to Diggory, who he was pretty sure he could take in a duel if it came to it. Come on, Diggory said, and led him right out of the doors of the entrance hall, onto the steps of Hogwarts, where he sat and Draco had to follow suit. Draco, what was that to do? Butter wasn't lying, if that's what you want to do, Draco said with a severus length eye roll. He and his Gryffindors have been losing their shit all day, trying in vain to come up with a way to stop him becoming the boy who was barbecued. No, Diggory said, shaking his head, and took a deep breath to steel himself, as if it took great courage for him to confront the Draco Malfoy. I heard you, you know, screaming at Potter, telling him not to tell me. He was so angry when he did, Draco. I don't really know you, but we've played Quidditch against each other for years. I don't understand why you'd hate me enough to let me face a dragon unwarned. It's not about you, Diggory. Cut the self-absorption. Draco snapped, trying not to look over at Diggory's face, as Draco's inability to stop Potter that morning had turned it one step closer to becoming that cold, dead corpse face turning blue that Draco remembered in a sobbing father's arms. Potter's my friend, so I want him to win, obviously, and I'm a Slytherin. I just don't believe I'm giving the opponent an advantage. If you were the only champion, witless enough not to figure it out, or get a teacher to help you, then you deserve to face the dragon blind. It's the Triwizard Tournament. People are supposed to get heart. Then you want me to get heart? Diggory said slowly. Because my father tried to arrest you. What's it to you, Diggory? Draco sneered and Diggory's handsome face flashed in anger. Plenty, Diggory snapped. If Potter hadn't been so good a person, you would actually have had me going up unprepared against actual dragons. And you'll be helping Potter all through the tournament, won't you? Maybe Crumb too. Everyone says you two go flying together. And maybe even Flo and Beaubaton. You got that commendation when Beaubaton arrived for helping them. Draco opened his mouth, and the paranoia poured out of Diggory. Who's to say you won't take a more active role going forward? Try and sabotage me. Everyone in this school knows the things you've done, what you're capable of. You flatter me, Diggory, Draco drawled. Don't tell me you're scared of a fourth year. I bet you were the one to come to the dark mark, Diggory blurted. He looked to regret it almost immediately, hand going over his mouth, even if that regret was only for what Draco might do to him for saying it. Was that hand meant to be protecting his tongue? As it happened, Draco had considered actively sabotaging Diggory, but to save his life, not that the ingrate would ever understand that. Sounds like you'd better watch your back then, huh? Draco... A voice came from above them and Draco groaned. Stalker, he greeted equably, and Potter glared down at him. Hermione wants to talk to you, he 
He said tightly, Um, hey, Cedric. Hey, Harry. Diggory called, raising a hand. Thanks for telling me today. And they exchanged cordial sportsman-like nods before Draco was being dragged inside Hogwarts by the tie. See me on the Marauder's map, Draco sighed, and eventually followed Potter up the steps to avoid being dragged. Um, Potter, you know I'm banned from Gryffindor Tower, don't you? No, you're not. You've hung out with us there before. Yeah? Draco said slowly, coming to a stop in front of the fat lady. But that was before I got caught, in the middle of the night, in a Gryffindor's bed. I got banned after, think, Potter. You surely must recall which one. Potter's hands both went up to his face. Oh, God. Right, yeah, um, I'll get Hermione and Ron. It turned out Crouch was good for something more than terrorising Karkaroff. He had given Potter advice that he would end up using, taking him one step closer to the doom Crouch had planned for him, needless to say. The trouble was, Potter was so inept at summoning charms, it was a 50-50 shot whether he'd get one cast before the dragon got him first. And naturally, after having made a very public show of using one on a snitch at the very start of first year, Draco, along with Hermione, was the natural expert they turned to for improving this dismal state of affairs. Draco only promised to help until he had to leave for curfew, though Potter offered to walk him back to the dungeons and back in his invisibility cloak. In that first session, all they really established was that Draco and Hermione were very good at the summoning charm, and Potter and Ron were very bad at it. When Draco let it slip that Luna was also good at the charm, Potter looked liable to surrender to despair and let himself be eaten by any dragon who called Dibs first. Don't worry, Potter, Draco said, rolling his eyes. I don't really think you deserve to be burned alive. He ignored Ron's whisper to Hermione. That was a question that required clarification, and went over to poke at Potter's scar. I'll make sure you get it in time. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.